Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do your work today. It's all you. Lord, we can't do a single thing. Oh God, I pray that you just glorify your name in this, Lord. Let let your word go so forth in such a way that the simplest mind can understand it and the most educated mind can grow from it. Lord, get me out of the way. Help me to rightly divide your word. In the mighty, powerful name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. You may be seated. The title of my message today is Take Your Seat. So, it really is. Take your seat. There's a guy in Texas. He's suing Smartwater for false advertisement because it did not make him smart. So I like to formally announce my lawsuit on Thin Mints. <laughs> did not make me thin. Oh, that's stupid, Ryan. I know. I know. Like all dad jokes are stupid. It um, they don't get better either. We just get better at telling them. Still learning. Every time I get around Phil or or Randy, I I, I just kind of consume dad jokes. Uh, with Phil, it's more like a great grandpa joke. But uh, oh, come on, come come on, come on. Today, um, we're looking at Hebrews chapter eight in its entirety. Hebrews chapter 8 is a reaffirmation of what we looked at in Hebrews 7. So if this looks familiar, Hebrews 8 and 9 actually are reaffirmations. The author of Hebrews is trying to hit this home so hard that we have no questions in our mind who Jesus is. And so if we're reading this and you, and you see something that looks familiar, it's because it is very familiar. Even some of the same wording looks the same. And so with that said, that makes it very hard because I don't want to talk to you about the same things we, we looked at last week. Last week was a word for last week, and and. I'm very much a person that I, I, I want the Lord to speak to us. I, I, don't, I don't want to convey information. I'm not like that. If I'm here just to convey information to you, then you might as well just go to college or listen to a podcast or a TED Talk because the point of preaching the word isn't communication. And I don't care how good the message is or how bad the message is, if the Spirit doesn't show up, it's just a talk. I want the Spirit of the living God to transform us. And I want Him to show up so when we encounter the Word, we walk out of here different. It's, I don't care how eloquent the speaker is. I, don't, you know, I listen to a lot of speakers. If the Spirit's not on it, it's just a talk. It might be a really good talk, but it's the anointing that breaks the yokes of the chains of bondage. It's not just going through the motions. And that's my dilemma when chapters start to look a lot alike. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is a lot of information, God. But it's here for a reason. So I've been praying about this all week. Sunday mornings are like, I know this is an inadequate and not a, a perfect example, but every Sunday, I let, like, pastors all over the United States pray over, they seek the Lord, they search the word, they, they 
they want to convey what God is saying to them. And then they do it on a Sunday morning, whether it be good or bad. And then they have to start over. And sometimes that could be very daunting. And with that said, I'll give you grace if you give me grace. Because I believe God has a word for us today. And some of us need to take our seat. Some of us need to take our proper seat. We've been looking at things completely differently. We've been looking through wrong lenses. And so... We're going to jump into this. I'm going to read it from my iPad because we have a lot of scripture to get through. And it will be on the screen behind me. Here's the main point. So he wraps up chapter 7. He launches right in. And he's going to wrap it up, which is ironic. So I really feel like the author Hebrews is a pastor because he wraps up a small section of chapter 7. And then he takes a whole two chapters to explain the main point. Some of you guys are going to get that. Some of you guys are like, oh, I get it now. Pastor Ryan, that's what he does every week. He takes one verse and makes it an hour and a half long. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not listed in the scripture, but I think it's called the gift of gab. (laughs) Here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he, there, he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he, wouldn't, he would not even be a high priest since there are already priests who offer Gifts required by the law. And also, he's of the wrong tribe. Remember, last week, God had to establish a whole new priesthood and a whole new covenant because he pulled a priest out of the tribe of Judah and he formed him with the oath. It wasn't by bloodline. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, says the Lord. You should know the Lord for everyone. From the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. They will be my God. I will write my laws. How does he do that? You know, he he literally took his finger with Moses and he wrote the law into stone. How does he write it on our hearts? It's through the Holy Spirit. He puts his spirit in us. So though we still need to study the word, we still need the Holy Spirit leads us to all truth. That's why a new Christian can step into a situation um, because the Holy Spirit's in them and know like, hey, this isn't godly. And they haven't memorized a single verse out of the Bible because the Lord writes his will, his word on our hearts. They, They just know because of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. With that said, I want to I hit on things. Because Jesus is our high priest, because he has this ministry in heaven, 
And this is something like we don't really talk about, honestly. There's a tabernacle in heaven where Jesus is offering praise before the Father. How many of you guys ever heard a message preached on this? Like one person. I've never heard it. I took a class on Hebrews. I have a bachelor's degree. <laughs> we don't talk about it. So as I'm looking at this, I'm like, man, I don't have a wealth of knowledge to pull from. And I was literally sitting right there, right where Richard's sitting this week. And I said, Holy Spirit, I need you. We don't just need information. We need you, God. And some, some things started popping off in my head. The first thought I want to give you is, we are seated with Christ. We are seated with Jesus. So this passage makes a point. Makes a point to say that Christ is seated in heaven next to the Most High God. He's in the highest place of honor in heaven. But Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says this. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It's good stuff. And then we get right here. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. So this is not a future thing. When we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are raised to life. Okay? In John 3, it says we are born again. We're fully saved upon salvation. Then, then sanctification happens, and that's a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit making us like Jesus. But when we make Jesus Lord and Savior of our life, we, we become fully righteous before God. And it says this. It says, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Christ is in us and we are in Christ. Well, I don't feel like I'm seated in heaven. In fact, quite frankly, I woke up in a, with a kink in my neck and, and my, like... My life doesn't feel like it's in heaven right now. This statement, whether you feel like it or not, is true. And I don't believe it's hyperbole. We could take God at his word, or we can try to use human logic. God doesn't have to make sense for it to be true, and truth doesn't have to make sense for it to be true. This goes back to, do we believe the sovereignty of Scripture? Do we believe the authority of Scripture? It says that we are because Christ is in us and we are in Christ. So we are seated with Christ. With this comes an invitation. There's an invitation that comes with this reality that we are seated with Christ, in Christ. <clears throat> this chapter in Hebrews gives what I truly believe is a great example of God's backwards and upside-down kingdom. I believe this chapter is probably one of the best examples of how God operates. Because think about this. Have you, under, have you ever wondered how, uh, this is very childlike, and this is very, like, simple, okay? Sometimes we complicate things, and so, have you ever wondered how our worship gets to God? Like, no, I really haven't wondered that, Ryan. That's, that's like a child question. In my defense, Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you don't get to the kingdom of heaven. So maybe we should start wondering childlike questions again. <laughs> I wonder that stuff. How does my worship get to God? How, 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 well, it's because we're in Christ. And he's in us. How does God interact with the world? So 
We're in him and he's in us. So we interact with the Father through Jesus and the Father interacts with the world through us. So we're in Christ in heaven and the Holy Spirit's in us on earth. It's backwards and upside down. So when, when God wants to reach the lost, he does it through the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit, but how does it work? It's the church going out and sharing the gospel. And so he interacts with the lost world through us, and we interact with the Holy Father through Christ. We worship, Christ, we worship God through Christ. And God saves the lost through the church. Not because of what we do, but the message that we preach. It's backwards and upside down. Too many followers of Jesus don't live in this reality but when you look at the totality of scripture and you start taking God at his word and, 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 and this is not even like cultural thing or pro, you know like oh we got to do proper hermeneutics I got to think about this no this, these are general statements that apply to all followers of God and this rhetoric is throughout the New Testament let's just go up and throw I'm seated with Christ on, in, in heavenly places so Oh, I, I didn't put these on there. Oh, yeah, I did. It's, it's the, next, the next one. Next slide. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. So this, this idea is throughout Hebrews 13, 14. For this world is not your permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Philippians 3.20, we are citizens of where the Lord Jesus lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. This rhetoric is throughout the, the, the whole of Scripture. We are sojourners here. Some translations say we are aliens amongst this world. What, is that, what does that mean? Like, there was a stint when I lived in New Mexico... And I was working, I was working uh, construction out there, and I was there for three months. I lived there. My stuff was there. But my home was in Arkansas. Even though I lived there, my home was in Arkansas. It was temporary. Arkansas was permanent. Now, when I go to visit family, I visit, like, I, I, like my dad still lives in the home I grew up in. I go there. I know where everything is in that house. In fact, I still find stuff I hid as a child in that house. I'm not going to tell them about all the food I hid. <laughs> like, it's probably long gone. But um, he's like, man, I'm, I'm just getting ants. I don't understand why. Whoops. <laughs> um, but that's not my home anymore. My home is here. I can visit, I can be there for a year, but my home is here. My home is where Amy is. Our home is where Jesus is. So because of that, we got to think differently. Because we are with Christ and he is in us and we are in Christ. And, and he's our high priest and he's doing this whole ministry in heaven. And, he, and get this, when he's offering sacrifices, he's not offering sacrifices for sin. That's done and over with. It, it's different the Bible says he offered one sacrifice once for all, it's done. Your sin debt is paid in the death and resurrection. So what gives? Why don't I feel like I'm seated in heavenly places with Jesus? I'm glad you asked. A couple things, a couple thoughts come to mind is number one, we can't live by our feelings. We can't. I'm a dad. I don't always feel like a dad, but I'm still a dad. Just because we don't feel like something doesn't mean we're not. Most importantly, God says you are. God says you are his son or daughter when you are in Christ, whether you feel like it or not. That's the reality. 
God, if God says it, we should believe it. How many of you guys believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross between two sinners? Like, the, like yeah, he died like a thief on his left and a thief on his right, right? How many of you guys believe that? Why do you guys believe that? The Bible says it in Luke, right? Well, the same Bible says you've been crucified with Christ and raised with Christ. The same Bible says you are seated in heavenly places, not you will be. Like your salvation and, and, and your, your, your eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts upon salvation. Our bodies just have to catch up. So, uh, uh, <laughs> because we have a high priest next to the Father, we are seated with him, in him, and, and that invokes an invitation. And I'm, I'm going to talk to you about this invitation real quick. Because, the, first thought I the, the second thought I want to give you, because we are seated with Christ, Jesus, we are invited to see things from his perspective. It's not earth up, it's heaven down. So this affords us new sight, so to speak. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, let's, let's just read it real quick. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, man, Ephesians says it, Colossians says it, the same, you know, it's the same authority. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. <laughs> like, so there's this rhetoric. Your citizens of heaven, you, our home is in heaven. Set your sights on things of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Just keep going. Think about things of heaven, not things of the earth. There is this demand, there's this command, there's this, this invitation to change the way we look at the world, to change the way we think. Let's keep going. For you died to this life, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is in Christ. That's not metaphorical, that's not hyperbole, that's the reality of the saint. It's the reality of a born-again believer. Our life is in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Why? Because we are in Christ and he is in us. There's an invitation to see things through his perspective. Heaven's perspective doesn't see impossible. It sees an opportunity for God's glory. Too many of us live with the perspective of the world when we live, because we live and operate in this world. The Bible says we're in this world, we're not of this world. But we, but because we're in this world, sometimes we take on the viewpoint and the way the world sees things. They see a diagnosis and they instantly think, oh, this is bad. Oh, this is bad. Oh, oh, uh oh. And, and, and heaven says this is an opportunity. Faith doesn't deny reality. Heaven's perspective doesn't deny reality, but it, it looks at things differently. It doesn't rest in depression or anxiety. It rests in the fact that God is sovereign, in control of all things, and so in that sovereignty we can have joy and peace, knowing that if it, if it got to us, it had to go through God, so we can look at things differently. Listen, this doesn't ignore reality. That's irresponsible and unwise. If you got a bill that you need to pay, don't ignore it. <laughs> That's irresponsible and unwise. If you have, well, God will take care of my car payment. Yeah, he might by sending someone to repossess your car. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you won't have a car payment anymore. Praise the Lord.
God's perspective confronts reality, though. God's perspective doesn't ignore reality. God's perspective confronts reality head on, then brings his solution into it. How do you find his solution? You seek him. You ask him, how do you want to resolve this? Lord, you see the situation. You see that I just got diagnosed with whatever. You see that, um, you see our, whatever, our finances, our, our, my, you see my children. You see these needs in my life, my grandchildren. And I don't know how to manage them. And God says, oh, I'm glad you brought that to me. Because I'm going to give you heaven's perspective looking down. Because you're, you're just looking at it like this. I'm gonna, I, I want you to see it like this. It doesn't re- ignore reality. It confronts reality and brings his solution. And get this, it might not be the solution you want. But it's the solution you need. God might just say, you need to be more disciplined. Don't! Ah, man, why? No, God, I would rather, like, win the lottery that I didn't play. That would be great. That would be a miracle. I would give you all the glory, God, if I got a winning lottery ticket and I never bought one. He could do that. But what would you learn? Because God's more concerned about the process. He wants to develop you and me, he doesn't want to just, how bad of a dad would he be if he just gave us what we wanted all the time? God is notorious for giving sudden results over a long period of time. Or some might say God is notorious for giving overnight success over the course of a decade. Like, wow, God just showed up in their life and God's over, it's like overnight their kid got radically saved and transformed. Yeah, but you didn't see the 25 years that mom spent praying day and night for the salvation of that child. God cares about the process. But there's an invitation to see things through his perspective. It's heaven down. We start, when we start seeing the world the way Jesus does, We'll start expecting God to do what, what Jesus saw God do. We'll start seeing miracles. When we start seeing the world the way Jesus did, when he was physically on the earth, we will see miracles in our life. For instance, I mean, let's just, the disciples saw a storm, Jesus saw a miracle. The disciples saw multitudes, they saw lack, they saw great need, they saw not enough. Jesus saw overflow. Jesus saw more than enough. Jesus saw provision. The disciples saw a dead man, and Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus saw life when people saw death. Jesus saw possible when, when, when the disciples saw impossible. Because Jesus saw with heaven's perspective. How do we get this perspective? I can tell you how Jesus got it. It wasn't because he was God incarnate. John chapter 3 says very something. He says, no man has seen God except the Son of Man who came down from heaven. And then it will ascend back to heaven. And then he says, and most transcripts leave this out, but some good ones leave it in. It says, and who lives in heaven. This is in John chapter 3 when he's talking with Nicodemus. It's right around John 3.16. And it says that he came down from heaven, who ascends to heaven, who descended from heaven, and who lives in heaven. How did he live in heaven? He was on earth. Well, what was Jesus' ministry characterized by? Where's Jesus? Oh, he's praying. He fed the multitudes. Where did, what did Jesus do? He went up on the mountain to pray. Um, the disciples would wake up. Hey, let's go. Where's Jesus? Oh, he got up earlier than you got up, and he went and prayed. Throughout his ministry, Jesus spent time in the throne room of God in prayer. So that's how he received 
the perspective of heaven. He knew before he called the 12 apostles, it says he spent all night in prayer. How do you think he knew to call, who to call? He had hundreds of disciples, but he needed, he, there was 12 that he wanted to appoint as apostles, and he spent all night praying. He got the perspective of heaven because he spent time in heaven with the Father. Did, did it, was his physical body in heaven? No. But the glory came down because he spent time with God. What does he say here in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8? Jesus said, is it? I'll read it from my iPad. It says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So, right, right out the gate, right out the gate, this is John chapter 3, 3 through 8. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. How do we get the perspective of heaven? How do we get the perspective of the kingdom? We have to be born again. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And, and Jesus even goes on to say, if, you, if you're not getting these things that have an earthly parallel, I, I can't tell you more things of heaven that don't have an earthly parallel. Jesus always gave us things that we can understand, but what he's saying is salvation is random. We can't control it. It's a work of the Spirit, just as wind. You can't control wind. It's, it's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit, and only God can make it happen. And that's why I'm not big into like trying to manipulate people to respond or anything like that. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. I want people, if they're feeling led of the Spirit, to respond and repent, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so how do we get the perspective of heaven? We're born again. Jesus is speaking to the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus, probably the most educated man in Israel. And he's like, what? Born again? And he's saying, no, no, there's a new birth that comes with salvation. Paul puts it this way. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. I believe we do have this. Therefore... Since you, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. If anyone is in Christ, Jesus called it born again. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, no, you're a new creation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And God, who was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed us to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What did I say earlier? We're seated with Christ. We interact with the Father through Christ. Christ interacts with the world through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Reconciliation is a mathematical term. It means put in the right category. And God wants to put you in the right category as a son or daughter. Your situation that you find yourself in, listen very carefully, is not beyond redemption and it's not beyond reconciliation. This is how we see with God's perspective from heaven down. We're made 
new. I want you to hear this. In fact, I need you to hear this. This is how powerful the salvation of Jesus is. This is how powerful it is. In Genesis chapter 1, God created for six days. Right? In the beginning, God said, let there be light. He said, let the mountains separate. You know, he formed all this great, like, he created. Then he created man with his hands, breathed life into him. Then Adam gave up dominion. And for approximately four to 5,000 years, Jesus was done with creation. After the sixth day of creation, God never created again. Think about that. He put things in motion. Did he, did he interact with his creation after creation was done? 100%. He did throughout history. He's always interacted. But he never created again. The last thing he created and he's still creating, is when someone believes in Jesus and accepts him. The Bible says he creates a new creation. That's how powerful your salvation is, that God steps in and creates in you something new. He hasn't created since day six of creation. And Jesus rose again, and he bought this ability to be made new, a new creation in Christ Jesus. So when the Bible says we're foreigners, when the Bible says we're aliens, this world is not our home, it's because we aren't born of this world. We're born of the Spirit. We are a new creation. And because we're a new creation, we have this invitation to see the way God sees. We can look at people and have compassion. We can see situations and not feel fear, but have discernment. We can look into the impossible and say, God can make this possible. It breaks my heart to see too many Christians living with the world's perspective and trying to follow Jesus. When God has such a better life, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. You don't get the full life in Christ when you look at this world through the world's perspective. God's saying, open your eyes, take your seat. Some of us are seated down, we're seated down on earth looking up at heaven. And when we go through a situation, we're saying, oh God, you need to move in this. Or we get mad at God. Because we're looking at this instead of looking like this. Look at look, look, this invitation to look at your situation through God's eyes. There's nothing impossible for him. There's no situation too hard, too bad, too lost. Take your seat, church. Don't give it up. And getting excited I might preach the last thought I want to give you is when we are seated because we are seated with Jesus we worship Jesus directly we worship through Jesus directly to God this is powerful guys I, I love this idea it says that there he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that has been built by the Lord, not by, not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. Must make an offering too. Well, what is he offering? He's not offering sin sacrifices. He is, he's offering our praise before the Lord. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, and this is so powerful. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor. Oh, I, 
I'm at the wrong spot. This is Hebrews. This, this is it. I'm, I, we already read that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind for a second. Oh, all right, now we're back. Because we're in Christ, we worship God directly to him, like through Christ. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16 says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Through Christ. So Hebrews says we offer gifts and sacrifices. Jesus is offering gifts and sacrifices in this heavenly tabernacle. Well, what is he offering? What, what offering? What sacrifices? What, what is that? It's the praise of the people. It's that sacrifice of praise. May I submit to you that the offering and, and praise that Jesus offers as our high priest are the lives of worship and praise we bring. A sacrifice of praise. Today, we have an opportunity to offer a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice is something that costs you, though. It's not just worshiping God when you feel like it. I once heard it said that there's two times to worship God and praise God. It's when you feel like it and when you don't. Sacrifices. When you are going through it and you're having a hard time seeing things through God's perspective and, you, and, and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to worship God regardless of how I feel because he's worthy of my worship regardless of how I feel. He's God. You, I, I don't know all, everyone's story in here. I don't know what everyone's gone through. But I, I almost guarantee you this, everyone has a story. Everyone has a history. Everyone has rough patches in their life. Some are rougher than others. There's some, man, there, there are some patches that should have killed some people in here. But you're here because God has a purpose and a plan for you. God still has, a, God still has that. And, and what's our response to this? To offer a sacrifice of praise. Paul says this way in Romans 12. He says we, we, we present ourselves as living sacrifice. It cost us. But it's not as much of what Jesus caught, paid. Jesus paid such a price for us to be able just to gather, to have communion with the Father, to have his perspective. Jesus paid such a price to say, to say come sit with me up here. I want communion with you. My Father wants to hear your worship, your praise. What does the Bible say? It says the, 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 that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we start to worship, when we start to praise, when we let our faith run wild, when we live this life, God says that's a place where I want to make my dwelling. And worship, sometimes we, we get real guilty of thinking worship is just one thing. It's 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 song. Oh, we just had a worship service. We sang three songs, and that was worship. No, worship is everything. Everything. Jesus said, the time is coming, and it is here now. He's talking to a woman that was promiscuous. He's talking to a woman that had five husbands, and the woman that the man that he that she was with now wasn't even her husband. She, so she has this reputation. She wasn't gathering the water when women gathered water. It was the heat of the day, and Jesus is having a conversation with her, and he tells her, "You know what? Your past doesn't matter because God, and, and it doesn't matter where you worship, whether you worship here." or in Jerusalem because the time is coming and is here now that God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. 
God isn't looking for a lip service. God isn't looking for a song service. God is looking for a spirit that says, God, I want what you want in my heart and on this on this earth for your glory and your kingdom. God is looking for the, 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 the truth of, of, of us when we make these declarations in prayer and a life that backs it up. What is, what is the spirit? The spirit says, God, I want what you want. Then the, then the truth is when we live it out. When we live our lives in such a way that it's not lip service, it's reality. We worship God through Christ directly. It's a sacrifice when you don't feel like it, praise him. It might be getting up and just, God, I'm gonna spend time in your word. I'm really tired though, you know that, but I'm gonna sacrifice. We, we're, we're gonna be going into a fast here pretty soon and it's a sacrifice. the sacrifice of praise. I'm so sad and tired of followers of Jesus seeing this life through their old life's lens. Seeing this life through this world's perspective when Jesus has a seat for you that offers new perspective, that offers a new way of looking at things, that when we start seeing things through God's perspective, number one, it's God honoring. Number two, it's, it's like an invitation to God. Hey, God, I, I, I know that you can move in this diagnosis. And I believe that you will. When we start seeing things like opportunities like that, God's like, yes, I love that faith. And he can't help it. It's like a reflex. There's a, do you know there's a woman in the Bible that got a miracle that Jesus didn't mean to do? Why? He turns around and says, your faith is beautiful. Your faith made you well. It's a woman with the issue of blood, bleeding for 12 years made it and she thought she was gonna make him unclean so that's why she didn't touch his body she touched his clothes because she didn't want to make him unclean but she had such faith if I could just touch the him and 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 she had she had the kingdom perspective she had the heaven perspective in the situation and Jesus is walking along to raise a girl from the dead and suddenly he goes I felt power come out of me because it was it's a reflex God can't help it when he sees faith like that. He can't help it. Your faith is a sacrifice of praise. Your situation isn't helpless. There is hope in Jesus. During worship, the Lord told me, I felt, I felt like there's someone in, in this section. I said, Lord, you want me to say that when I get up there? He's like, no, wait, wait, wait. But I feel like there's someone in this se section that you almost feel irredeemable. You feel like your situation's beyond repair and You don't you can't see how God can move through it. But I'm here to tell you that it is not hopeless. It is not irredeemable. And that God is moving through it. Just surrender it to him. Quit trying so hard in your own effort and rest in him. God is for you. God is for you. I, I, I just, maybe that's for more than one person, but I know someone in, right here, God is for you. 
He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on the process in you. God is for you. If you're here today and you need to ask Jesus to make you a new creation, he's here too. He's here too. I'm going to ask you to do something uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you to step forward. If you're here today and you need to ask Jesus to change your perspective, maybe you need to repent because you've been looking at this world through the world's perspective when Jesus is saying, think about things above. Look at this life through my perspective. I have a better, I have a better vantage point. <laughs> he has a better viewpoint. If you're here today and that's you, man, I, it's never too late to ask the Holy Spirit to change the way you see things. If you're here today and you need to repent, he's here to meet with you. I'm going to be up here. Pastor Amy and Pastor Nathan are going to be up here. And we want to pray with you. So let's stand. I believe there are people that need prayer. Maybe you just need to come forward and bow before the Lord and pray. And you don't need, per se, prayer, but you need to pray. The altars are open. Let's offer a sacrifice of praise before the Lord. And if the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, if you're like, I do need Jesus. You need to respond. You need to respond. The first step's the hardest. Step out, but we are here to pray with you. And more importantly, Jesus is here to meet with you. It's so simple. Jesus, forgive me. <laughs> forgive me. And he's like, yes, you're forgiven. Boom, done. He loves, that's, that's, that's how fast it is. God is like, he's like, you're forgiven. Yeah? And, and it's so simple. Jesus, forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you're the son of God. Jesus like, welcome to the family. That's it. You're my brother. You're my sister. It's that simple. When we confess with our mouth, the Bible says, and believe in our heart, God shows up does a work of creation in you.